1: Welcome to Sirius XM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit.
0: There's a quiet
1: revolution taking place in Sweden that is rapidly spreading around the world. And it's not just because of the propulsion system. Polestar. Say it to a car enthusiast and you need not say another word. Say it to a teenager and watch his or her eyes light up. And if you haven't heard of Polestar, there is a cultural creation taking place at a zero to 60 clip that would make many internal combustion vehicles green with envy. Affectionately, it is the youngest startup company on the planet. Polestar originated as a racing team which worked on their own cars to help Volvo's racing division win the Swedish Touring Car Championship in 1996. And after finding success as a racing team and bringing home plenty of wins for themselves at Volvo, Polestar decided to go public with their first real release of their S60 model in 2013. 2014 followed with the release of the Volvo S60 and V60 Polestar. Volvo saw this as a great opportunity with long-term potential and outright purchased Polestar to bring them on as their personal performance division. In 2017, Polestar's goal and purpose changed to being an electric performance car brand, focusing on innovation in a highly competitive emerging market. With the earth and environment in mind as its highest priority, Polestar continuously strives to continue creating increasingly efficient performance vehicles that impress visually and performance-wise. And at the core of Polestar's engineering philosophy is to create an optimally safe, balanced, and reliable driving experience. Its vehicles are entirely unique, designed with the environment in mind, and they're lightning quick. Today, we hear about the Polestar story through the words of its American president. Gregor Hembro, who believes the future is very much electric. He leads a division that is as thoughtful as it is focused on beautiful, both in design and the approach to sustainable technology. And today, Gregor tells the story of a brand's transformation and how a company which was so dependent on gasoline pivoted to electric and identified a gap in the industry. He talks EV challenges, new customers, and how Polestar will ebb and flow in the years to come. It's the Polestar story from inception to EV adoption, as told by it's an American boss.
2: Hi, this is Gregor Hembro,
1: and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. Well, it is always great to be reunited with you. Uh, The last time, Gregor, that you and I spoke, you were only trying to launch a brand and vehicles and provide an EV alternative in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) These are what they call um, uh, earning your stripes, right? To say the least, it was uh, quite a bit of learning and quite a lot of
2: gray hair that came around it. But uh, I think the stripes came along as well.
1: Tell me what you learned during the midst of the last couple of years as you are launching a brand new brand with a brand new uh, approach to the market.
2: You know, Jason, I've learned probably in the last 24 months than I've learned in the last 24 years in the automotive industry. And it's mainly about consumer behavior um you know when you take a look at technology of cars and how they've evolved those are all things that you could sort of understand where they were going and and how the evolution was going to transcend but what I learned the most about is really about customers and the difference that we're making with a digital forward type of retail environment and their acceptance as such you know being in the industry for a while it was this, um, I see. I want I type of I want to buy type of mentality for a lot of customers, where the old adage was is that they'd have to go into a car showroom, they'd have to touch the vehicle, they'd have to negotiate and haggle the deal, then they negotiate and haggle their trade-in, and then they wanted to drive off that afternoon with the product. And the consumerism and the change of consumerism, where they can actually buy something online with the confidence that the product and the service that's going to arrive is absolutely meeting their expectation in that faith that we had to give the customers uh, in the promise that we had deliverable from not only the brand, but also our franchise partners was, as I shared with you, 18 months ago was going to be a very big leap of faith. Would they actually move to that type of environment? And they have, they really have. So if you ask me uh, really what it comes down to is the, the changing customer with regards to maybe we saw them 36 months ago.
1: What's changed 36 months ago and 18 months ago is EV acceptance. And that was something that even you know, most recently, uh, as the flood of new entrants have come into the market, we've seen a, a wild upswing in EV acceptance. Are you at the right place at the right time?
2: I think we're fortunate enough to be so. Absolutely. You know, it's it's not only the, the the choice of the models that are coming; um, it's also the infrastructure that continues to build as well. So, as you know, I, I I share quite a bit. Is is that if we looked at an EV solution ten years ago, it was always something that was a little bit of a compromise, whether it be about range or whether it be about packaging of the product. Um, you know, where a trunk used to be is is now an electric engine or a charging port. Um, And the EV acceptance to me has been driven by a number of things. And it's not only that the cars are one of no compromise, there's very little to talk about range any longer with most of the products at 300 miles or plus design is second to none. Um, The convenience factor is second to none now with growing infrastructure, or of course the affordability of even a home charger. And to really be here, in 2022, but also put our foot forward as early as 2018 and saying that this is a segment we're going to be involved with. Um, It really is. I think we're part of the catalyzation of this movement, but at the same time, we're lucky to be part of it as uh,
1: this point in time. Let's talk a little bit about Polestar in general and even the origination of it. I know you wanted to create a product that was a message for the future. That was wrapped in a certain set of values, but the history of it actually goes back to the mid nineties racing circuit, Sweden and Britain, and it was all around engineering and development for Volvo, but also performance and handling. So mm. it's kind of funny. I know you have said this before, but you're like the longest running startup company in the history of the world, <laughs> right? Give me a little bit of that history. <laughs> You're
2: absolutely right.
1: I mean, the, the the
2: start of Polestar started back in the Swedish Touring Car Championship and the British Touring Car Championship in the, the late 90s, where we were um, really one of the performance arms for uh for Volvo. And you know, the the iconic racers of Rickard Rydell or Jan Flash Nielsen really started putting uh the brand into the marketplace as uh, you had these iconic racers and um you know, winning uh, the Swedish Touring Car Championship, British Touring Car Championship. And then that then that evolved into, you know, more than just on the racetrack, what could we do to become um, arguably a performance arm of, of Volvo, which is one of our strategic affiliates. And it started with everything from software and then handling, and then finally evolved into variants within Volvo. Um, And then somewhere around 2017, November of 2017, we declared that Polestar will be a standalone company and a standalone brand. And it will be driven by an EV platform. And there'll be no compromises with things such as design or technology um, and absolutely no no compromise within performance, but with a different viewpoint, sans internal combustion engine.
1: Yeah, going right, I mean, the, the racing circuits and the, and the racers and the winning probably could not have envisioned a day where the name would have been borrowed for something that didn't make a sound.
2: No, isn't that, isn't that ironic in some hmm. respects?
1: But to that end,
2: when you take a look at you know, all the performance attributes, we haven't strayed far from home at all. I mean, the, uh, the company still remains true to its, its genesis. Um, and at the same time, I think that you know, the more and more when we look at the future, um, EV will be synonymous with performance, and in in years ago, when a, a V8 or even a V12 was synonymous with performance,
1: you also had the conviction of doing something that very few other companies are doing, which is a transparency on everything that you do. And what I mean by transparency is you you looked at supply chain management, traceability of every material in the car, sustainability, the CO2 footprint. You want to be very open about all of these things whether it was design or innovation or technology. So you want to keep a performance-minded vehicle that you can track every movement of its gestation. Am I right there? You're absolutely right.
2: We call it Project Zero. Um, Zero standing for zero CO2 coming from the whole industrial process, distribution process, um, and then obviously out of uh, the product itself. And our our moonshot, because this is not anything but heavy lifting, um, but we have full organization with, uh, with with our team back in Sweden that's really making this much more than a moonshot, but a reality by 2030. And that is obviously one of the endeavors that is right up there with design, technology, performance, is sustainability within the Polestar values. And it's not about buying carbon offsets, or it's not about just stating that we're going to use recycled this and recycled that. Um, Recyclability is certainly part of how do we get to Project Zero, but it's actually going forward and farther than anybody else else done before. Jason, even to the point of actually making a declaration every single year of what our footprint is in the production of our Polestar 2, and this is something that um to the best of my knowledge we're the only automotive manufacturer that actually has that declaration um and is publicly available so listeners can go onto our website and read everything about what it takes to put a Polestar 2 together and the co2 it emits to do such a thing and continue on our journey and i uh, challenge ourselves and have our listeners listen that every single year we should be bringing down that 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 threshold
1: bringing down the threshold on those sorts of metrics and bringing up the threshold as it relates to performance and design and beauty. And I was in Pebble Beach in California in <laughs> August. I mean, you have to tell the listeners exactly what you unveiled there because it was, in a word, jaw dropping. Yeah. We're very proud. Um, you know, it's interesting since the last time we met, we've not only
2: launched the Polestar 3, which maybe we can come back to in a minute, um, we've talked about the Polestar Precept, which is our. Um, luxury, fully-performance EV sedan, which we now call Polestar 5. It's the one that I told my customers that uh, we moved it from a, a concept car to a promise car. We, we've decided that that car will be Polestar 5. But what we shared with you is the Polestar 6, and that's um, our full electric EV roadster. Retractable hardtop. Um Second to none with regards to performance. I mean, right now our endeavor is to come in zero to 60 below three seconds with a range above 300 miles. Um, Standalone platform for Polestar. And, you know, all the things that I talked about earlier on in our conversation about EV vehicles and compromises maybe about 12 years ago, um, this is a car that truly defines that there's going to be a blurred vision between um, design and internal combustion engines. This really is a, an incredible messenger um, from a performance perspective, a packaging perspective, and certainly design.
1: Let's talk about a few of those other ones that you just mentioned, the Polestar 3. What impact has the 3 had on your business? You know, it's, it's, it's very clear that the
2: SUV segment, and your listeners will obviously know this, the SUV segment is the largest in the United States. So it truly opens us up to a segment Um, that has a lot of people leaning in to understand where this could fit within their lifestyle. So the Polestar 3 in a a very um, elevator pitch is a a full-size SUV, five-passenger, that we will launch in 2023. Um, It'll be a luxury performance SUV, um, starting at about eighty-three thousand, just under eighty-four thousand dollars, three hundred miles of range, four point six seconds zero to sixty, hmm. um, and again, really, really encourage everybody to go take a look at it. And you'll see a car that has a design second to none, going back to everything that we've talked about before. So the interest that we've already gleaned from a customer base, where they can go online and configure the vehicle and order the vehicle already, has been uh, very rewarding. And, you know, it's a car that we're looking forward to, um, to go back to understanding what the customers in the U.S. really covet, to understand how this really evolves the Polestar brand. And lastly, um, what we're very proud to announce is, is that we'll also be manufacturing it in Charleston, South Carolina. Instead of China. Exactly. So in 2024, we'll be opening up the assembly line in South Carolina. So very early on in the life cycle of the Polestar 3, the cars will be hailing from Charleston.
1: Incredible. Investing in America, looking for American buyers with an SUV that can go right up against a Porsche Cayenne. Well, you took the words out
2: of my mouth. I mean, we're going to build where we sell, and there's no question about it that the, um, the, the Cayenne is certain, certainly one of my bullseye a great product and a great one to benchmark, but at the same time, there's some competition afoot.
1: You talk about the elevator pitch in general for that vehicle. What's the Polestar elevator pitch from a, from a broad perspective. And and I I asked the question to say, are you, do you have Volvo's electric AMG here?
2: No, I think what you'll see is the elevator pitch is a Swedish car company with an avant-garde design. Um, Customers that value design, technology, innovation um, from, I'd say, a psychographic point of view. Um, demographically, obviously a little bit higher than a Volvo customer. Um, and, you know, being a strategic affiliate with Volvo and and, and being partners in many respects, we're seeing very little crossover of customer base. It was something that we pay a very close amount of attention to is to say, uh, you know, are people conquesting into Polestar versus Volvo. And it's, it's not that at all. It's actually, we're starting to see a lot of people coming in from uh, BMWs and Audis, um, Mercedes Benzes. Um, you know, it's other interesting is a lot of people lean into me, Jason said, well, you must be taking a lot of people from Tesla. And the answer is no, not really. I mean, but that was never, our goal was to, to win a customer base out of, out of another EV brand. Um For us, it's to actually foster the EV segmentation. For me, the the win is to bring people out of internal combustion engines into the EV segment. So while, of course, we get cross-shopping against Tesla, the majority of our people are coming from internal combustion engines. And well enough for me, it's outside of the
1: Volvo brand. Are you building a culture, Gregor? I
2: think so. You know, I've had the good fortune of really attending um, these it's, it's, it's very interesting to me um, about who our customers are and where they've been. And the culture that I see afoot is really one of automotive and technology enthusiasts. Um, those are our customers are. And what really makes me smile is um, they're aficionados. They really covet what they're driving. Um, people aren't coming across Polestar and getting into Polestar because it's just a car that can go in their driveway and take them from A to B. Um, It's not an appliance to them. It's really the start of a love affair with a brand. And for me, that's so important because not only is our brand resonating with them, it's sustaining with them, but they're also cascading that love to other like people. Um, And it's really for me encouraging to hear about how many people have come to me and said, you know, my my colleague who I value his opinion recommended I buy this instead of that. Or I ran into a customer at here or here and here, I started talking about it and his enthusiasm and his love of what you have to offer has been so, um, you know, genuine and authentic. I had to go and look at the brand myself and, and really try out the product as well. Um, those are things that you set out to do. Um, and it's going to, it takes 12 to 18 months to really take witness of that. And, you know, I had a really interesting time when we launched the Polestar 3. We, we had a, um, a launch event in Copenhagen. So we brought some journalists. Uh, we brought our partners, our retail partners, our space partners. But we also took um, customer bases with us. And I've, I've yet to be in a automotive setting where you put journalists, <laughs> retailers, and customers under the same roof all at one time. <laughs> and I think that that one sentence really shows who Polestar is, is that you know, the transparency we talk about, not only in price, when the customer transact online, it's the price they get to, the transparency in the product, we talked about that with the CO2 and the sustainability, but now also about what we say to our journalists is what we say to our retail partners is what we say to our customers and you know later on in the evening after the car was launched to see the the cross pollination between the three uh, uh subsegments of customers and journalists and 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 factory representatives and executives and all that stuff it, it was it it was very rewarding to me and you know to have customers come up and and express that back to me and saying that they're love to be part of this journey um, so we're we're building a brand in a very different way i think
1: well can i pay you a compliment I'd love one. I, was, I had the good fortune of having a Polestar vehicle in my possession as a, uh, as a test car back around 2020, 2021. Um, and the amazing part that I discovered was that teenage boys and teenage girls on a Polestar 2 uh, trip or visit or ride were completely enamored. I mean, the demographic was crazy. You were, you were attracting the likes of 16 year olds and 18 year olds and 20 year olds, as I said, male and female, very intrigued. Now that's the kind of demographic you want. I agree with you.
2: And it it, it was very interesting to me. We, 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 we also do a lot of corporate social responsibility in the office. And one of the things that I was really warm to is we have a local high school, um, around the corner from us. And, um, my marketing team and my PR team uh, basically took them for a semester, and they, it was a, a, a business to learning type of experience where the students come in and they learn a little bit about the company and they learn a little bit about the some of the business equations, and we give them an assignment to do. But going around the room and ask them at the end of this what they're most intrigued about Polestar, um, 16 to 17-year-olds weren't talking about acceleration, they weren't talking about cool wheels, they weren't talking about uh, maybe a cool stereo system, all the things probably you and I grew up with, they were talking about sustainability, and environmental awareness. And I think that this is also interesting about when I look at who our future customer base is, um, it really, again, rewards me to say that we are focusing on the right thing. um, And we're doing the right thing.
1: Well, let's talk about what you grew up with. (laughs) Your first car was a 1968 Volkswagen camper van that you drove in the mid to late 90s. I heard you say you literally, this is in New Jersey, you literally drove it into the ground. But you came from a rich automotive history. And I mean, automotive in the sense that, of course, a passion for vehicles, but also engineers. Your grandfather was an airline pilot and an engineer. Your dad loved cars. And so you got taken to school in Jaguars, right? Yeah.
2: You know, it's, um, I was very fortunate, you know, it's whether this is nature versus nurture. Um, you know, dad had a 57 XK, I guess it was one hundred and forty at that time. And uh, he loved it so much. He bought a, a matching one for mom, albeit she had a different color and maybe a XK one hundred and fifty, but that was the daily commuter into in, to school back in the eighties as well. Um, and from there on in, it, it just never left me. Um, not only the allure of, uh, of the automobile, but also one with a performance element to it as well. So, you know, if you were to lift, lift my garage door today, you'd find an E-type and you'd find a vintage uh, 73 911 and you'd find a Land Rover Defender. Wow. Um, and those are all things that will never leave my portfolio. They've been with me for a long time. And I, I do get questioned to Greg, how can you drive a diesel Land Rover and a 73 <laughs> 911 and a 66 E-type and talk about electric vehicles at the same time? And um, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, we should never, we should never forget the past, and, but we have an opportunity to, to shape the future. So um, it's pretty cool.
1: Absolutely. And those are cool vehicles that are in your garage. So let's talk about your journey a little bit. You, you grew up through the Volvo ranks, right? And at what point did you have this, this tipping point, if you will, of saying, I, I have an enormous chance to start something new and a completely new business plan with a whole set of values and actually personal values, you've said, that are aligned with company values?
2: For sure. You know, I had the good fortune about it. 2017, I I was one of the vice presidents at Volvo, which is a fantastic company to grow up into. Um, The the amount of opportunities that I had within that organization and places I had a chance to work in different disciplines, um, just a love affair, Jason. Um, However, there was obviously trends that you could start to see emerging, you know, whether it be the EV segmentation or whether it be a, a different way to engage our customers through customer relationship management and and a, a, a digital forward type of business model. And you know, when the Polestar brand was was really curated, and I say that word very clearly, um, it was going to be a car company for. Um, the next millennium, I would say, not only from a propulsion system, but the way that we do business. And um, it was right then and there that I said, I I want to be part of this journey. Absolutely. And um, not only to become part of the journey, I had the good fortune to lead the journey from the North American point of view. So for just just under five years now that I've been part of this beautiful company, and um, I saw it grow from a uh, organization of two sitting on a couch in, in, a, in a in a in a building to um, will will be probably just about under 200 employees as we end this year as well so it's it's really been
1: a nice uh, ascension from two to 200 wow you yeah. still remember those conversations from the couch what what were your biggest concerns at that point I guess getting the thing <laughs> off the ground
2: you know, it was the, the the biggest. I had no doubt in my mind that the engineering team and the brand team were going to develop a product that was a force to reckon reckon with. Not a question in my mind. Um, the knowledge and the know how were there. Interestingly enough, was this? I don't mean to take it away from anybody, but the Stone Age to Star Wars approach within regards to retailing and customer acceptance. And just to, to to go back to where we started this with is is that, you know, will a customer buy a car, um, almost from you know, uh, learning about the vehicle, configuring it to already having it delivered to their driveway without stepping foot into a Polestar space or actually having a physical re- uh, interaction with a, with a with a with a with a salesperson, so to speak, looking at it in traditional terms, and that was one of the things that when I sat down with our retailer partners and said, would you like to be part of the Polestar journey? And we're going to develop a business model where we're not looking for you to develop an 18 acre um, car dealership or have um, 300 vehicles in stock. Um, We're looking for you to have a very asset like model where we're going to have a small boutique and I will carry inventory and a customer can build, customer can build a car online. They can transact online and, You know, I'm asking you to deliver the car to their driveway if they wish or have a pickup and delivery type of service for for uh, 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 servicing. Um, That was really the thing that I would say is for the first early days. And so we started rolling up our sleeves and having good dialogues. um, Was the North American customer ready for this? And was my retail partners ready for this? And if I look back now and reflect, it was absolutely.
1: Hmm. How have. Companies like Carvana, maybe companies that that are more um, consumer-facing that some listeners mm-hmm. would, would know, either Carvana or Tesla, how have they changed the approach to buying a car? And how do you slot into that similar type of thinking? They
2: were the pioneers. I really have to say, if you go back and you take a look at Tesla and you look at Carvana, um, even going back to looking at CarMax, um, I really think that this frictionless type of customer interaction... Um, and then when you take a look outside the automotive industry, Jason, I mean, I don't think there's a, probably a listener out here that doesn't use Amazon today. Um, they really are the pioneers in e-retailing. Um, how do we slot into it is a great question, and I, I don't know if we slot into it uh, other than running a parallel type of of relationship. Um, when I when I started, I said that you know this is should be this car purchasing process should be as easy as clicking a button on Amazon. And, you know, I'd be foolish not to recognize that we're buying a car um, for a far greater price than you'd be buying, you know, shampoo off of Amazon. Um, But doesn't mean the process has to be different. Um, We should be able to, uh, uh, again, cascade those beliefs into a far better consumer product such as a Polestar as well. And that's really been the narrative all along is, um, you know, the, the likes of of Tesla and you can see very similar actions out of Rivian and and Lucid and and of course Polestar. I really think that that's where this is gonna be going in the future. Um, We started off by talking about a pandemic. I really think that during the pandemic, a lot of the customers um, really started taking a chance in this type of buying um, because they had no other choice. And they were quite pleased with what they had to come across. is is that there is a large amount of faith in having your car picked up and brought to a service department or having it loaded on a flatbed or even more so on some of the things we're working on as a mobile service repair. Um, And likewise, there's a comfort in knowing that you're dealing with a reputable company and you're dealing with a reputable franchise and that you can buy a car online and have it delivered to your driveway and and realize that um, basically your expectations are being met.
1: One executive on this program said that the changes that you just alluded to would never have occurred or would have taken so long to occur. I'm talking about consumer buying habits, had the pandemic not happened, that this was an opportunity to really reset for everybody, including bill to order, which is a very European or let's say non American way of approaching car buying. It's not going down to your local dealership and picking out the vehicle you want and driving it home, but it's placing an order that may take six to 12 months, which of course, most listeners would know is pretty much the norm these days. Is that true? Do you subscribe to the theory that that the actions that have taken place since the pandemic or during the pandemic have really fueled a complete restart in how we think about buying vehicles?
2: What I've witnessed over the last year is absolutely um, that the customers are willing to wait far greater than this, as I go back to, is I see, I want, I buy type of mentality. You know, the 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 ability for them to actually go and curate the type of vehicle they want. Um, you know, price is no longer discussion because the transparency and what you build is what you pay right now with Polestar. But to ensuring that they get the product that they want, the right color, um, the right interior, the right wheel, the right package, There seems to be, from my experience, an absolute um, support of that notion that something that's, you know, as drastic as the pandemic has to change people's mindset as definitely I'm willing to wait to get what I want.
1: After the break, I'll continue my conversation with Polestar U.S. President Gregor Hembro. And to see my interview with Gregor, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel where you can like and subscribe to see more than 90 interviews.
0: The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep. Technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on cars and culture on SiriusXM business radio.
1: Welcome back. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Now the continuation of my conversation with Polestar U.S. President Gregor Hembro. and to see my interview with him, go to the cars and culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 90 interviews. Let's get into some basics for those who don't know. Where are Polestar's designed? Sweden. So our design house is in
2: Sweden. Um, right outside of Gothenburg, uh, which is in the Southwest part of Sweden. Um, so again, we, we have our global headquarters there and, um, yeah, so that's, that's where we're, that's where we're designed.
1: Can I buy a Polestar in a Volvo store? You do not. Right. You Can have a, you cannot. So Polestar is
2: a different franchise. It's a different company. We have, uh just about 30 Polestar spaces around the nation right now. Um, Primarily, you'll find our physical locations in key EV markets, of course. Um, Southern California, we have a number of footprints there Northern California. And then you take a look at other tier one cities such as Miami, Florida, um, Washington, DC, the tri-state market around New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Boston, Detroit is relatively new to us. Columbus, Ohio is relatively new to us. Um, Denver, Colorado. So all the places, obviously, Jason, it's been a journey to me, and you, you can't be everywhere at the first step. And, you know, being the, the, the we, we, again, I'll remind the listeners that we started a pandemic. So we were obviously curtailed in our journey at the beginning. But the one thing that I smile and say is that about 85% of the EV market is now covered by a Polestar space. Um, We do a a pickup and delivery within 150 miles of the customer's address. So um, I can tell you we've delivered a lot of vehicles uh, into Nevada and we've delivered a lot of vehicles, you know, outside of the state of California Mm -hmm. um, because our key footprints have been not only in EV rich marketplaces, but also in the peripheral marketplaces as well. And as we end 2022, we move into 2023, we start to move into far greater tier, tier two markets. We're, we're, we're coming to Nashville, we're, we're in Houston now, um, you know. we're moving into Atlanta, Georgia. So now the second wave of growing EV marketplaces is, is where we'll be at this point. So as the time the Polestar 3 launches, which is, as I said, a very important vehicle for you, we'll be at about 40 spaces um, where customers can go in and, and see the vehicle, test drive the vehicle, But with that being said, uh, again, in a little departure from traditional retailing, um, we are a digital first company, so you can buy the vehicle online and have it delivered to your house. I've said that already. But the other interesting thing is we have this uh, at-home test drive. And I'm not certain that I've come across another automotive manufacturer that actually has a place that you can go on a website, put your postcode in, um, understand if test drives are available for the car, and we actually bring it to your house to test drive it. So um, we've had a lot of great testimonies and a lot of good customers coming in from that channel as well. I can't make the one hour drive to come up to, uh, whether it be Palo Alto or Marin, California, or whatever it might be, but we'll bring the car to you and we'll deliver it to your driveway. And we'll bring you through the whole vehicle and let you drive it with a very, no sales tactics whatsoever. And, And on your terms, and then we'll let the customer go through the digital journey from there if they want to purchase it.
1: Wonderful. Some manufacturers are using motorsports as a way to prove electric performance. I think a Formula E extreme off-road racing that's out there. And it helps for a proof of concept. And of course, it raises brand awareness. Does Polestar need to go down that road as well?
2: Not at this point. I don't think so. I think that trying to convince the consumer base that Um, EV can be synonymous with performance or building brand. Um, I I really believe that it's beginning to wane a little bit. Um, And it's certainly something that I don't foresee us doing anytime in the future. You know, again, we'll continue to to really ring the bell about design and technology innovation. Um, And then lastly, this sustainability and this environmental awareness as well. So to go back to the racetrack, It's something we're proud of. I mean, you can go and take a look at some of the Nuremberg Nuremberg ring (laughs) lap times that our Polestar 2 and our Polestar 1 have achieved. Um, I don't shy away from that performance as well. It's extremely respectable. To find ourselves moving into Formula E or any sort of touring car championship, um, again, being very, very clear, I, I think that our money and our endeavors would probably be better oriented to. To putting, making sure it's it's on future product.
1: Sure. How speaking of future product, how big can the Polestar portfolio get? We'll constantly lean into
2: listening to segments and the evolution of segments, um, where it makes sense for the brand. So you know, uh, there's been a lot of people looking for uh, um, you know something that's probably not fitting within the brand. But, you know, when I talk about. Who are we with an avant-garde design and and technology and innovation? Are there certain segments that will say that's just not for us? Perhaps. Um, And we have to remember that we're part of a bigger portfolio of brands as well. So um, the Polestar 3 is is not going to be a a seven-passenger vehicle. Um, That's a role in positioning for our our strategic affiliate Volvo. Um, And I think when you start leaning into a little bit of those uh, nuances of sub-segmentation and sort of things, some you'll probably f- find us not there more than we'll be there. So again, I think it's going to be is where the majority of the customers would w- would find Polestar would be probably
1: the, the larger segments of EV. And as you get larger or broaden your portfolio, so does everybody else. There are more than 100 EV models coming over the next 12 to 18 months, as you know, I'm sure you've studied them all very closely. <laughs> But you have said, I welcome more competition. Your, your adage is the old one, a high yeah. tide floats all boats. Yeah. You welcome the competition in the marketplace. You want more people to consider EVs in general. That's something that Elon Musk said seven or eight years ago when I interviewed him in uh, Detroit. He said, bring it on. Yeah,
2: I, I say bring it on and, and not necessarily from a competitive point of view. I see this as a conversion point of view, Jason. Uh, You know, as more and more people lean into, I had dinner with people um, on Sunday night, and they're talking about um, moving to EV, Um, not only because they feel it's the right thing to do, but because it's not that necessarily they were looking at Polestar 2s or a Polestar 3. It was that this is something that as the proliferation of models become available, they're saying that this is now on our radar. This is certainly something that we have to consider as we move into our new car purchase. And if you just take that micro example and start saying that as more and more customers start researching is an EV brand, the right thing for us, or an EV uh, product within another brand, the right thing for us, they're going to find us. Uh, I have no question in my my mind that they'll find ports Polestar and, and everything that we have to offer. And I think that they'll be very impressed by everything that I've just said, whether it be the product or the purchasing process. Um, so Certainly, I haven't changed my mind on that as well. And again, it's for the greater good. We we know that the projections right now, I know you're a student of the industry. Um, EV segmentation has moved from just under 3% last December and we closed November where it's almost 6% right now. So a doubling in segmentation in the auto industry um, and it's been brought up by more and more people going with uh, an offer from their own brands. And as we look out to the horizon, I don't think it's outlandish to see that at 25 to 30% by the end of 2030. Um, So, again, coming back to is more choice will give the customers more opportunities to consider an EV. And when they consider an EV, I have no doubt in my mind that they'll come across us.
1: We're seven years away from the end of 2030, approximately 25 to 30% is going to mean. We go back to the chicken and the egg, Gregor. Yes, I mean a lot more <laughs> charging stations, and folks who live in condos in dense areas are going to need the op- are going to have to have the opportunity to plug in. Um, there are, of course, a lot of considerations around battery recycling when we get to that point. Um, there are uh, considerations around um, simply grid issues. What are your thoughts on some of those? Um, It's going to take a lot of heavy
2: lifting from 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 not just one brand, and it's going to take a lot of heavy lifting from just outside the automotive OEMs. Um, You're absolutely right. You know, the 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 infrastructure has to increase dramatically to make sure that that convenience factor comes up. The cost of goods have to come down. So our battery suppliers actually have to do a lot of work along with us to find out, you know, how can we collectively uh, make a vehicle which is costing less and is more affordable to many. Um, and again, you know, power companies and infrastructure around that, they also have to do their work as well. So this is just not one industry afoot that's going to be driving this change. It's going to take a couple of, couple of key industries to drive this change as well. Um, but the same thing happened with the internal combustion engine, if you look back at history as well.
1: Gas stations had to be built as well when horses were yeah. going down the street.
2: Exactly. Um, you know, there was one time when blacksmiths were out, out, <laughs> outnumbered gas stations. And of course, it's not such a dra- drastic evolution as that, perhaps. But, you know, the similarities are not lost on me.
1: I can't let you go without asking you a question that a teenage uh, boy asked me when he knew that I was talking to you, which is the Need for Speed heat game with the Polestar 1. <laughs> Will we see more poll stars in video
2: games, Gregor? We are certainly looking at those things. I mean, that brought on an audience, but it was it was, it was was something that really resonated quite well with us because it was fun. And I think one thing about poll stars, we, we don't take ourselves seriously all the time. Um, so Need for Speed was something we looked around each other at the table and said, okay, um, we understand who this is. We understand the target. You know, we have a great product to go along with this. Why not? So we continue to look at these fun things that go along with the brand. So um, I would say that things like that, absolutely.
1: How about things like the Super Bowl? You know, you showed your Polestar 2 on the Super Bowl uh, not long ago. You saw only a 580-time surge in traffic on (laughs) cars.com. I I think your investment paid off. Are we going to see you in the game again? We'll see. We'll see. It's budget time,
2: Jason. So, you know, there's, there's, there's wish lists that have been put together and we'll find out in a couple of weeks or so. And you'll find out sometime in early February if we were successful or not. I don't know when Super Bowl Sunday is. I haven't looked at a calendar, but around right. that time. Early
1: period, February. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You'll have to make the decision yeah. soon, I'm sure.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, we were very proud of that. You know, it, it really did great things for us. So maybe lightning could
1: strike twice. Maybe it can, yeah. Well, you've described yourself as a person with two arms, of course, one filled with petrol and one filled with electricity. I would venture to say you're, 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 you're uh, trending more to the side of two arms with electricity, correct? It's certainly going that way.
2: Um, I, 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 and if you take a look at the future, it's, you know, it's every single day that I get into, uh, my Polestar, um, you know the attributes that it brings to with me well a, again from a performance perspective um instant torque the horsepower the acceleration uh noise vibration harshness which is second to none it's it's, it's amazing um and this endeavor that as we move forward with the product portfolio and we continue to up our 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 our, uh, our 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 offerings if you will on on all those endeavors Certainly, um they'll always be a little bit looking in the past and what got us here so that's
1: what the that's what the petrol and the gasoline is reserved for, but certainly electricity is now running through me well, and speaking of the past, I mean when we talked last time eighteen months ago or so, and you were recalibrating as you told me during the pandemic, you had a lot to learn. If we have the same conversation five years from now, what do you think you'll say? <laughs> great question um
2: I hope I say our intuition was correct. I hope I say that the um, that everything that we set out to do with the Polestar 3 and the Polestar 5 was absolutely um, spot on. We've done a lot of homework um, on what our customers want and where the industry is going and, and taking a bet on a lot of things in life as well as business. So I hope I say that we're right. Um, and along with the learnings, it would be that you know our customers are willing to change and the infrastructure changed with them.
1: Yeah, well said. We will watch with great interest. Gregor, you are the captain of a ship that is uh, the the oldest startup uh, <laughs> known to man, but you're doing a great job. And I thank you for sharing the Polestar story here on Cars and Culture and for contributing to the car culture, whether it's in your garage with your Jaguar and Defender or in your driveway with a Polestar. Thank you, Jason. My pleasure. Thanks again to my guest, Polestar U.S. President Gregor Hembro. And to see my interview with him, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see some 90 episodes. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and on Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM and on Twitter at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road.